Welcome to the Ask a Spiritual Director podcast, a podcast of question and exploration for all things related to the spiritual life and spirituality. I'm Samuel Ogles. And I'm Kimberly Pelletier. Welcome to season three. Rather than exploring one question per episode, as we've done in the first two seasons, we're taking this entire season to explore one question in depth. And that question, what does healing look like in 2020? In this episode, we interview Sheila Weiss-Rowe, author of Healing Racial Trauma. This episode is full of truth and hope. White, black, or brown, if you're looking to more deeply understand the state of the U.S. and more individually or communally move toward healing, this is your doorway. And also, we're doing a first of a kind on this podcast. We're offering a giveaway of Sheila's book. And here's how to enter. After you listen to the podcast, head over to iTunes and review us there. Then you can email us at Ask a Spiritual Director with your Apple ID, and then we, that way we can verify your review. You can do this anytime between now and November 15th. On November 16th, we will randomly draw a winner and contact you via email, and then we'll ship the book out to you right away. All of these simple instructions are in the show notes, so listen in. And without further ado, let's hear from Sheila. All right, on today's episode, we are welcoming Sheila Weiss-Rowe. She is a truth teller who is passionate about matters of faith and emotional healing. She advocates for the dignity, rights, and healing of abuse survivors, those carrying racial trauma, and for racial reconciliation. Sheila is a graduate of Tufts University and Cambridge College and holds a master's in counseling psychology. For 25 years, she's counseled and taught counseling in Boston, France, and for a decade lived in South Africa, where she ministered to homeless women and children. She's a member of the Community Ethics Committee of Harvard Medical School, a policy review resource for its teaching hospitals. Sheila is the director of the Rehoboth House, an international healing and reconciliation ministry based in Massachusetts. She's also the co-founder of the Cyrene Movement, an online community for people of color seeking healing for racial trauma. Sheila Weiss-Rowe is the co-author of The Well of Life. Sheila's essays can be found in the Boston Sunday Globe newspaper, numerous blogs, and journals. She's a sought-after speaker at colleges, churches, organizations, and seminaries. Sheila's latest book, Healing Racial Trauma, The Road to Resilience, is published by InterVarsity Press. And we are privileged to have her here with us today on the Ask a Spiritual Director podcast and I don't think you know this, Sheila, but this uh, podcast that we're recording right now has like, been a seed in my heart since um, a Writers Guild retreat that I met you on several years ago. And we talked about trauma and race, and um, there was so much that was planted that day. And it was still a few months before Sam and I even began this podcast. So this, right, even this moment feels like a... Um, just like a seed coming to fruition. And I could not be more honored to have you on the podcast and just, um, yeah, let your, your expanding voice that continues to speak to and heal so many. Um, yeah, we're just honored, super honored Welcome. to have you today. So thank you. Having me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one, a place to start your, your newest book is, um, you know, healing racial trauma. And so, you know, various types of trauma in the work that you do. Um, we often think of trauma, I think, as, you know, like um, 
surviving a, an assault or something like that. But your, your view, you know, physical assault, I should say, your view of trauma goes beyond that. Um, what defines trauma in your view and, and how can we chase the through line across the different types of trauma you talk about? Yeah, well, there, there's a, a sense in um, psychology around types of trauma, big T trauma being an accident or some kind of major event that's um, life-threatening uh, in, in many cases. And then we have small T trauma, which are things that are, um, there's the, they're traumatic, but they're not, they're not necessarily life-altering, but they do have impact um, on us. And so the this the tendency is that we fall into either of those categories when dealing with trauma, but racial trauma uh, is very much in line with what the research has shown, which is that the this the continual little t traumas actually over time have a greater impact than some one big huge event. And so when we talk about racial trauma, we really are talking about um, both of those. We're talking about big T trauma and small T trauma. And so the weight of all of that is something that is is extremely overwhelming um, when you think about how Black, Indigenous, and other people of color have confronted racism in the past across generations and are dealing with racism today. And the the ability to actually pull back in a way enough to get healing is something that is really difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. Often, you know, particularly in urban communities, but I would say for, for people of color across the board, it's, it is hard to stop um, and to take those moments um, just to get quiet and to listen to our own heart, our own pain points. And uh, so part of my book was really about that, about um, looking at what are the ways in which we have been traumatized in, in, in a way that's similar to um, just a classic sense of trauma, but in a way that it's very different. And, um, and what do we need in terms of tools to be able to heal? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was struck in your book, um, reviewing it for our conversation. Um, uh, just the overwhelming sense of um, the constant nature um, of the experience yeah. that was really um, striking. And obviously, we're more and more we're waking up to that reality for people of color. Those of us who are not um, persons of color, so Kimberly and I are white. For people listening who don't know that, um, but yeah, I was really struck by that constant nature and constant experience. And so, when you talk about needing the space for healing, is that a, um, you know, how much of that is, is kind of the work everyone's called to do in terms of we need space for inner reflection of self-examination, right? Um, and, and how much of that is, is really needing like a break from these traumatic experiences and kind of everyday experiences? Well, I mean, the reality is that there isn't, you know, the, the breaks have to be, um, extremely intentional because Mm -hmm. at the same time that we're taking a break. And so we can take a break from social media um, and not looking at the latest horrible video or um, something that is said in Twitter, those things continue to carry on. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it is absolutely important to take that that those spaces away. And I reference in the book about uh, during the enslaved period where um, the enslaved would go and out into these isolated areas where they could worship and pray and strategize about freedom. And these were called hush harbors. And they need to have like those kind of hush harbors um, in our daily lives and instituting those. And whether it is in our workplace or whether it's in our churches um, or in our homes, where those those spaces where we can get quiet and we can listen and we can be present um, to what the Lord is saying and, and what the Lord is wanting to do in our in our hearts and also in our in our minds and in our in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that this particular piece strikes me as a person as a survivor of trauma and sexual assault and some other types of specific trauma in my life. I think this is what, even in our conversation several years ago, that really struck me um, is, is kind of what you're saying now. I can, I can resonate as a person who's had and continues, as you know, with trauma, when it comes up in your body, you know, it comes up in your soul, it, things just come out of nowhere and all of a sudden you're triggered. And so this break, I mean, like I can get myself away from, um, you know, abusers, um, people who have hurt me in the past, like physically, but um, with with racial trauma and these microaggressions and this intensity on social media and the media, the news media, there's this ability to get a break while you heal. Like even in my own overcoming of trauma, I, I have this overwhelming new sense of incredible privilege um, because I can totally remove myself from those situations for years of time, right? To heal and never go back. And um, yeah, it just strikes me anew that that is just not a possibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not. And and partly it's that there may be moments where there are breaks um, and there are some ways in which people have found ways to, uh, to insulate themselves. And so whether it is their money and so whether they're a person of color who has resources only to discover that it doesn't matter that you're a senator or you're Oprah or you're whatever, you're mm-hmm. going to, at some mm-hmm. point in time, it will be made clear that you don't belong. And whether it's, you don't belong in this store, you don't belong in this community. Why are you jogging here? Why are you walking here? Why are you in this park? Why are you looking at birds? What um, the whole notion of the hashtag, you know, whatever, wild black um, is it's the truth. And so um, with those realities, um, it's, it requires a lot more effort to, try to have those hush harbors or those moments of trying to find these places where um, there, there are some ways in which racism feels like you're, you're minding your own business and then someone just kind of lobs a grenade in your way and you, you didn't do anything. You didn't ask for it. You were just minding your own business. And so um, when we get those moments where we can come away and get quiet and listen it's it's really important to really fully embrace those moments and to be present in those moments. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what you're talking about. This this term hush harbor. I just wrote that down. It's a really it's a really kind of beautiful picture too. So this is what the individual right can do. But what is the response like within a community or within our society? 
if we can become aware that um, this this kind of hush harbor, you know, experience is necessary and is needed for healing, what, I mean, I know that's kind of an idealistic question, right? What can we do as communities, as a society? But can you speak to that at all? Like, what can we do? Well, you know what, I, I think the whole thing around our having this place where we, you know, whether it's a safe space, but it's a space where we can honestly and transparently share our pain, as well as our joys, as well as our hopes for the future. Um, I would say in a broader society, it really is to, to actually listen to Black and Brown people to actually listen. And it's, it's the expectation that anyone who's suffered any kind of trauma, one of the first steps in terms of getting healed or beginning to heal is that you're able to tell your whole story and that people are listening and they're validating. Yes, Mm -hmm. that was your experience. And oftentimes, because we don't get that, we get an opposite message, which is that Mm -hmm. wasn't that bad. You need to get over it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this is actually what you mean or that's that they didn't mean that this is what they Mm -hmm. meant, but can you listen? And so I would say, uh, is is the broader society, is the, you know, whether it's the church, whether it's the workplace, will you actually listen to people of color mm-hmm. and listen to their experience, their pain, even though you might not fully understand it, but to actually mm-hmm. listen. Um, and then mm-hmm. I'm all for affinity groups, whether it's in the, in a church environment or um, there's some workplaces that have offered those kinds of spaces. And, and they are really, it's not a place to just go and gripe, but it's a place to, yes, to share our pain, but it's, it really is a place of getting, um, it's, it's a mini hush harbor to get strengthened. So we're able to go back out there and um, do the work that we're, we're called to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it reminded me of, um, you know, like, uh, like 12 step groups, a peer to peer support group, yeah. right, and the power that that can have um, yeah. in creating the kind of space you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that just even the ideas of listening, I mean, going into this vocation in spiritual direction, when I went through my training several years ago, and just coming into this space of this deep listening, it really did begin to alter just from a very personal sense, the way I just listened to, to news, to society, to outrage, to sadness, to all of that. And yeah, I just, it strikes me that that's the first thing you say. We just need a place to listen to black and brown people. We need spaces to listen. It, it strikes me that as I, as I, here, people with platform, white people with platform, um, wherever they're speaking, this move, you know, to, to is quick to to say to forgiveness or moving on or this was in the past. And in your book, you you talk a lot about um, forgiveness in trauma, um, which is obviously essential. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that challenge that many have around the idea of forgiveness in trauma, but also the remaining need for justice. Like, how do we work towards both without diminishing one or the other, right? The forgiveness and the justice that are both needed. Yeah, I, you know, I think that sometimes there's there's a rush to, to forgiveness and... Mm-hmm. From a Christian perspective, obviously, it's a command to forgive. And mm-hmm. yet forgiveness is is an event. So it's an act of, of obedience to scripture. And yet it is a process. 
So in terms of there, often it's not the case that someone just forgives and then everything is fine. Like they never have any other feelings about it. And it's (laughs) that it really is that they they have in the act of obedience. And and now it's walking it out where we have to rely on the spirit to do that inner transformation um, so that it really, our words actually, you know, they match what is going on internally and in our hearts. You know, forgiveness is not saying, oh, what they did was okay. They could do it again. Um, there are no consequences. That is not, that's not it. There, there are consequences. Um, and, and so those consequences are, it's when we forgive, it's that I'm not taking it upon myself to enact revenge. So, um, meaning revenge in the sense that I'm going to do what I'm going to do to harm that person for what it is that they did. Justice is one where um, there are institutions, et cetera, in in society that um, can address the damage that was done. Sometimes it's restorative justice. So it's about the parties coming together and the acknowledgement that there was harm done and then there's restitution. And then other times it is the person going to trial and the person going to jail because the damage that was done. And so um, it, it is holding this tension that uh, it isn't, I, I forgive, and then that means everything is fine. We just kind of, you know, you can just kind of waltz out into the sunset. Um, and I think, you know, when we talk about racism and just the whole notion of forgiveness and so people are looking at this current moment and thinking, oh, well, people are so angry and I I actually think that black people particularly and brown people are the most forgiving people on the planet. <laughs> I love it. Say more about that. Well, you know, because the reality is if we did, I mean, if you think about this 400 plus years of what has actually happened, if you actually read the history, you see what the damage that is done and mm-hmm to see how the level of restraint. Um, I think that then you have a different picture of what it is that people have been bearing, uh, what it is taken for. And now people can have their own narratives about, you know, the fact that people haven't burned stuff down already, you know, even before mm-hmm. this. And they have, but uh, like major um, mm-hmm. decimation. But I, you know, as a believer, uh, you know, I I have to have the Lord as my model, my source, um, and I have to trust that when He says, "You know what, vengeance is mine; I will repay." Like He will repay for the damage done. Um, and yet, there are ways in which, as uh, you know, as we think about forgiveness, we have to also look at repair and just to to look at the fact that there has been damage that has been done. And in in light of like restorative justice, there has to be some level of repair. Uh, If you look at the legacy of uh, what happened during slavery, you look at Jim Crow, um, civil rights, you look at redlining, you look at all of the ways in which uh, communities of color have been impacted and in which they, in, in many cases, sabotaged, communities have been burnt to the ground, there have been lynchings, et cetera, there has been damage done. 
what does it mean to what does it mean that if the this university or this church was built on the backs of the enslaved and now this is 2020 and you're sitting at a pew in that church or you're going to that institution what does it mean to engage in repair which is beyond mm. i'm sorry but you know what i'm i have the privilege and the benefit of the damage that was done yes i did not mm. do it because it's 2020 that happened 200 300 400 years ago However, I'm benefiting from it. And so um, that is a, that's a question that needs to be answered. And, and what, is it, what does it mean to, um, to, to say to a brother or sister, um, there was damage caused, I benefited from it, and now I want to make, make repair. And there are people who are doing it. There are secular institutions that are doing it, individuals that are doing it. There are Christian ones and others who are saying, you know what? In my small way, I'm going to do it. Um, you know, I'm watching communities of color. Um, gentrification is is totally transforming those communities. I want to make a change. So I'm going to buy property and I'm going to have like, you know, below market rate because I can afford to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Or I, um, I'm looking at a, a macro level as an, an institution that uh, there are colleges that have said, okay, we're setting aside money for scholarships because this institution actually was built on the backs of slaves. And Mm -hmm. so we are going to set aside money for them to go to school here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, that uh, restorative justice, there is a cost to it. Right. right? I think, I think people want, um, I think the natural reaction from the majority, right, is like, well, I want restitution, but I don't want it to really cost me anything. <laughs> um, and and I think this is where the Christian faith is so amazing to me. It has such language around, you know, the body that we're a reality of interconnectedness, of belonging to one to one another. Um, that it really should be like this amazing framework for engaging with this type of work. Um, and it's sad that it's such a, um, uh, that there's so much pushback against that. And, and just, I guess, ignorance, like, you, you know, just owning my own part, like that, that it's not the way I think about engaging these issues. Um, yeah. yeah. I like that, you know, the, that image of the body is a really important one. And the scripture says, there's a hand say to the foot, I don't need you. Mm-hmm. Like every piece of the body is is important and is essential. And if a part of the body hurts, if your foot is hurting, you're not going to get very far. (laughs) You know, you can ignore it because, oh, it's not the brain. The brain is more important than the foot. Um, But you're going to, the brain is going to feel, you're going to feel that. And so, um, and I think that that's what's happening right now in in general society, but even within um, Christianity is just, we're, the parts of the body that are hurt, the parts of the body that are think, thought of as less honorable or whatever, like scripture talks about giving honor mm-hmm. um, to those parts of the body. And mm-hmm. uh, the question is, will we? Um, you know, because we, the, this body of Christ is, you know, this is the bride. Um, what is the bride going to look like if she's kind of all over the place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. I was struck by a quote from your book, and I wanted to be sure to 
bring it up in our conversation. Um, so you write in your most recent book, my journey of healing has not been a straight line. Sometimes I've lost my focus on God. It was three steps forward and one step back before the healing set in. Um, and I, I think a lot of people are looking at this moment feeling like it's a step back um, when really maybe it's not maybe just the cancerous stuff under the surface is actually coming forward. But how do, as someone who's been engaged in this work, how do you see this moment when so much is coming to the fore? Um, it's such a top of mind conversation in a way that I, I don't remember it being in my lifetime. How do you see this moment in that work? Um, you know what? I, I actually feel there are things that we're seeing now that we've never seen. Hmm. And so if you were, and I talk in the book that, you know, I was a child during the sixties and um, there were marches and um, with this Dr. King, um, Malcolm X, et cetera. The, the crowds, if you actually look at the crowds were mostly black people. Hmm. Just being this person, there were a few, you know, young uh, white folks, some white clergy, but for the most part, the marches were predominantly black. That is very different than today. Mm-hmm. And so it does not feel to uh, us uh, as going a, a backward step. It actually feels that, wow, we're looking at a sea of diversity that is out there that is saying, you know, black lives do matter. Mm-hmm. And that's something that is new. The responses that we're seeing from, there've been things that people have been working forever on, you know, and so whether it is removing of certain monuments or the Confederate flag or um, uh, the institution of certain laws around bail and they have been working tirelessly and all of a sudden, and then, you know, within months, the, the laws are passed, certain mm. monuments have come down, the flags have come down. And it's not about, you know, it's, it's how do you, as a person who has to see this stuff, it, it yeah. is not, it may mean something of culture, which is what some people, the majority would say, but it means a whole different thing to a black person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. to see those monuments come down, it's pretty pretty remarkable. And so I don't I don't see it as a going backwards. I think it's important to note that most of the marches, the majority of the marches, were peaceful marches, mm-hmm. and thousands of marches in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and around the world. The vast majority of them did not uh, involve looting and rioting. Mm-hmm. And so what we see put in front of the media is that that's what that's all that was. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I see it as a it's, it's a movement forward. I don't know. I'm cautiously optimistic um, and prayerful that it will translate into more systemic change. Uh, um, but we'll see. Mm. Sheila, that's so powerful. You know, I. Um, and Sam, to that quote that you read in her book, I that's actually really encouraging to me just to hear that perspective, like just the way, you know, that is different, you know, from the 60s, the diverse crowd, you know, this, this idea that there is change and there is growing movement um, because... Yeah. As a person who was, you know, born in the seventies, I wasn't around during that time. Um, and just, 
yeah, I'm just listening and taking so much in right now and trying to, you know, find my own way as a, as a white person and going, what does, what does this look like? What does this mean? What response, um, what response is required? And, and I wonder if you could, you know, speak to that at all. Like we have a lot of white listeners here on this podcast and including ourselves, you know, and so what does it look like right now to work toward like healing this racial trauma and is there work we can do, you know, like the sort of ally, what does it mean, you know, in your book, which I cannot recommend more. If I have to say I was, I was crying by page 11 (laughs) and that's, that's no joke. I mean, like just sitting in my office, just crying. And I mean, I was even crying today as I was reading it. It's I'm surprised at the emotional response that I've had to it, but um, so forgive, (laughs) forgive me, but a lot of them are just these individual healing processes that people are going through and you're just incredible work of writing out, you know, their encounter with the Holy Spirit, you know, often within prayer groups or within small groups um, of people who are just helping usher in and bring around this healing. And for me, um, as, you know, like I was saying, as, a, as this white person or this word, this ally word that we hear a little more often now, what is, what can the work of white white people or white listeners, what can it be in this? Because as I'm reading these stories, I'm thinking that feels so holy and tender. I don't know that I belong in any of those spaces that you write about, although I feel incredibly privileged to read about them in your book. And so, yeah, I just wonder if you could speak to that. Well, you know what? I think a a huge piece of it is, um, will you, as you read the stories and you see this whole other perspective, hopefully um, Mm -hmm. change uh, in terms of your perceptions of people uh, of color, what we've experienced, what we've gone through, um, and what are the ways in which in your own um, small way uh, in dealing with people at work or out in your community, um, there are opportunities that present themselves where, and even within your own self, where there's a need to really check like, okay, what, what, you know, what is that, that implicit bias that is kind of showing Mm -hmm. itself? Um, What are the ways Mm -hmm. in which, um, somebody is saying something disparaging, disparaging against a person of color, and I just don't say anything. And I can choose mm. in this moment to actually speak up and to say this is not okay. And mm. so, you know, it's it's beyond just kind of being an ally, and which kind of can feel like a kind of a fad kind of a term. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it can. Yes. <laughs> But I think that when we go back to to Samuel, your your thing about the body, and also that these are sisters and brothers in Christ, and they are they are family. What does that mean when I I have a choice? Do I defend family when I hear certain things? Do I challenge that? Do I do I sit with? Um, and be a presence with family, not rushing in to try to fix it or come at this with all the answers because you don't have the answers. Um, Mm -hmm. But am I able to just be be present in that moment and surrender any kind of agenda that I might have, um, you might have as a a white person and just uh, being, being there and going back to listening again to listen Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think that for the most part, I mean, we, there are some white folk who feel like I don't know how to do that, and I always sometimes I step my foot in it, and I just um, you know say the wrong thing. 
Uh-huh. You know, for, for the most part, really, if you're if it's someone who's generally in your circle or your sphere, then if you come at this with "I don't know," and if you do step in it to say, "I'm," you know what, I have to apologize. I didn't know. Please tell me how did what what did I do? Um, and if you're having a learning posture, generally, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't personally expect people to have totally arrived. Um, and so it's important to have those kinds of conversations that clarify things. And I don't s- snap to, okay, well, they're racist or, mm-hmm. they are. Um, I don't know what's going on with the person. I do need to interrogate that a little bit or investigate that more with them um, and, and to get at the, the heart of the matter. And if there are places that need correction, um, then to, I, I'm open to sharing that. And I would hope that, you know, a person would, as I said, come with a learning posture. Yeah. I mean, I, what I hear you saying is, um, you know, a good old fashioned virtue of humility, um, yes. <laughs> right? Just, uh, just yeah. being open, teachable, yep. um, humble. So, I mean, that, that was going to be one of my questions was, are there, are there traits or attitudes or postures that we need to adopt collectively um, for this work? And then part two of that is, you know, are there are specific practices that go along, specific things to do apart from just what's going on internally? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that you, you hit the, the nail on the head with humility is a huge piece of it. Um, and because that's, I don't know <laughs> that mm-hmm. it's coming from that place. And, um, and that also just speaks to the fact that you're, you know, what you're seeing in the news, the way things are presented are not the whole story. And, and so humility means that I, I, I don't know, I want to learn. And, mm-hmm. and so learning also means, you know, am I willing to read, um, listening to people yes reading getting educated you know not relying on just black and brown folk to kind of tell you just you know the or educate you but to actually do more um in doing your own work in your own family in your community um that's that's absolutely essential um and then i i think that um, another piece is really um, just being able to be present with people as they lament, and mm-hmm. um, and those, you know, and having the the space to really cry out to to God honestly um, around mm-hmm. everything that's happened and mm-hmm. and is happening, and um, and when a church is able to engage in that kind of corporate lament. Um, where it takes seriously um, just the 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 hurt and harm that people have experienced, um, it does uh, something in terms of this sense of okay, it's not only that I'm not alone because of Emmanuel, God with me, but I am also here in the presence of brothers and sisters who are, are listening, hearing, covering, covering me, and um, and so it's looking for the personal as well as the corporate ways of uh, coming alongside and, um, and being a present with presence with and praying with um, because it even comes down to our having our perceptions of, of God being 
um, damaged because of mm-hmm. what um, and what we've experienced. Um, we I talk about moral injury in the book, and mm-hmm. we have some expectations that okay, the on whatever level the church should behave this way, or brothers and sisters in Christ should behave this way, and then that is not the case. And so, for many Black and Brown folk, there's a sense of moral injury around that expectation. Mm-hmm. That. And yep. for, for some who are in like multicultural mm-hmm. churches or whatever, and just feeling like, you know, their pain and it's just totally ignored. It's not even seen. Mm-hmm. It's not even acknowledged. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's, that's painful. Um, yeah. Subsequently, okay, well then, and where is God? Because you have a whole wing of Christendom that is saying, wow, this is everything that's traumatizing me as a, as a black person or as a brown person, a whole wing of Christendom is saying, this is amazing. This is a move of God. And mm. we're like, okay, wow, this doesn't, mm. this does not connect. There's a disconnect here. And, um, and so again, it's that, that whole practice of, listening to the parts that are hurting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Sheila, this is, this is so good. I so appreciate your willingness just to be so honest. And I appreciate your voice just to strength every voice that comes through um, just through your book. And even now in talking to you, um, there's something you say on page 99, like this woman you're talking about is teaching your kids the skills needed to fight any instincts they may have to marginalize others. And um, I just found that I just feel like this, everything we're talking about, just this internal work, right? These places, um, I think, like we're talking about humility, this, this ego work, really, you know, of, of continually being aware and and not just fighting the ego, but moving toward humility um, in a posture of humility with, with the world. I, I use in my, as I was reading your book, I used a match <laughs> as my bookmark, even though it was high, highly unpractical. It felt very, uh, it felt like I needed to do it. I was like, this book is, is, is like on fire. Like I just needed to, it kept falling out. And I was like, no, I'm using this match um, just as symbolically to light, light something within me and, and pray that, you know, um, it continues as I'm sure it has this year to light something within so many people um, and even the lives you chronicle in it in the ways just the spirit has his work healing and forgiveness and wholeness and in so many. And um, yeah, I just, I pray that as I read that for my own kids that, that any instinct towards marginalizing um, is just is obliterated from the way I'm, I'm growing them up, you know, helping them grow up. And, and even in our work as spiritual directors, because obviously this is a podcast around, you know, spiritual direction and asking a spiritual director, you know, that, that more we can be attentive to our own soul and the places we've marginalized within us, right? Then we can absolutely be more equipped from just an internal standpoint to not marginalize those around us, right? We become, I feel like, more acutely aware of the damage that that marginalization does once we begin to heal those margins of our own soul or, you know, encounter God and healing in that space with with the Holy Spirit and others. So, thank you for for leading us into this space. Um, you know, we our, our final question we were going to ask you is, you know, is there hope? Um, and I feel like you really answered that throughout this whole thing, but would you just kind of finish up by telling us a little bit about where we can find you, we can find your work. We'll put everything you say in the show notes so everybody can get your book and find out anything they want about you and what you're doing. But if you would 
give us that that would be great yeah so i um i'm in i'm I'm on twitter um uh instagram it's sheila wiserow across the board okay there uh facebook i actually have i do have a professional page but i really just have stuck to my personal page um so it's sheila wiserow there as well um uh, my website writing website is sheilawiserow.com and um, the Rehoboth House is the rehobothhouse.com and in that is um, the siren movement is a part of that um, but you'll find okay. that well we have um, an online group that's connected to Facebook with the siren movement so people of color who are dealing with racial trauma um, but also there's a that's the group. There's a page which is open to anybody. Um, so it really is open to people of color and also um, white allies. Okay. Um, we, on all of those platforms, like in, by the end of this week, we're, we are announcing that we're doing a training for um, any leaders who want to be skilled up and equipped to help people of color to walk through um, the healing of racial trauma. So it's full color. It's for white folk as well, and um, and that will start in November. Mm. Okay, perfect timing. Four sessions. Yeah, great. Yeah, really good timing. This episode comes out October twentieth. So will people still have time to sign up then? Yes. Yes. Great. Okay. That's great. And I was just gonna say for those listening, it's uh, it's Sheila Weiss Row R O W E. Yes. Yes. I S E. R-O-W-E, two words, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you for your words. Can't say enough about the book. It's, um, for those listening, it has so many reflections and personal stories of you and other people. Um, You know, obviously it's a lot of hard-fought wisdom um, that's gone into it. So I just appreciate your words. It's very, um, it's so deep and yet it's really digestible for people who, might feel worried about diving deep into a, a new thing, but uh, mm-hmm. just do it. Um, you won't be sorry that you did. So yes, <laughs> yes. The piece that's really important for spiritual directors or anyone who's interested in that is that it it gives a more um, kind of nuance in terms of what some of the people who come to you as a spiritual director like this is what they're mm-hmm. carrying with them. And yes. so because the things in there are, you know, it's not just a black story. It's an Afro-Caribbean. There's an Afro-Caribbean mm-hmm. in there. There's, there's a um, Latina in there. There's even a South African woman in there. There's an inner city mm-hmm. um, millennial. There's a, there's a wide range of people and their stories and their journeys. And so I think in a way that um, where you may not, as a spiritual director, have, have um thought about that like this is added dimension of this person who's sitting across um that i need to be listening to and it's maybe not the exact story but there there may be elements of that in it um and so i think that's important as a spiritual director i know for me in working with people that you know i i have a sense of of listening, not through the lens of I'm Sheila, I'm a spiritual director, I'm a black person, just out of that experience, but that I don't, I'm not a Latina. And yet in, in the, these people in the book are all friends of mine. And so I know their stories, I know their journeys, and I know how the Lord has met them in the midst of their 
life, their faith, their culture. And mm-hmm. so as with counseling and with spiritual direction, we need to have that as a backdrop that the mm-hmm. lens that we approach is really one of, this is a person who it's, he, they, he or she may not fit in with whatever narrative that you might come as, as the, as an Anglo person. Um, yes. No, just being that. Yeah, absolutely. And That's I'll, I'll really add important. to that um, pastors or other spiritual leaders too, or helping people mm-hmm. on, on that level. Yeah. So, yeah. Very good. Sheila, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. Like you say, I'm sought your hard fought wisdom that, um, that you're offering to the world. We're um, deeply appreciative. Thank you. Thank you. We made it happen. Thanks for listening to the Ask a Spiritual Director podcast. Reminder, we are giving away a copy of Sheila's amazing book, Healing Racial Trauma, The Road to Resilience. If you leave us a review on iTunes, then shoot us an email with your Apple ID. We can verify your entry and we will be randomly drawing a winner on November 16th. So head over and do that by the 15th. And these simple instructions are all in the show notes. So thank you again for listening. We will see you back here on November 3rd. Yes, election day as we explore interpersonal healing in November. November.